0: Father in heaven, we come to the point in this service of worship where we seek to hear from your Holy Spirit speaking through your perfect word. God, we ask that you would move in power. Lord, that you would move me out of your way. Father, that you would speak your words through me and that mine wouldn't get mixed up along the way. God, we all together are seated before your throne this morning. To hear from you. Lord, please speak to us. For those who are in desperate need of comfort, Lord, would you comfort us? For those who are in the pits of despair, would you encourage us? Father, for those of us who are caught in sin, would you convict us? Lord, for those of us who have been lazy and apathetic towards our walk with you, would you challenge us, motivate us to live for you? God, all of this is possible by your spirit working through your word. We ask that you would do that now. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to take it and turn with me once again to the very small book of Philemon. The very small book. Letter, only 25 verses of Philemon. You will find this book once again on the doorstep to the book of Hebrews. So if you're working your way through the New Testament, you'll find the four Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and Romans. Then you'll find 1st and 2nd Corinthians. After that, you hit the General Electric Power Cooperative. So you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Then you hit all the T's. Remember all those books with T's in them. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then Titus. After Titus, but right before Hebrews, if you turn one page too many, you'll miss it. Here is the small but powerful and potent book of Philemon. I encourage you to turn in your own Bible. If you don't have a Bible, though, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, I encourage you to take that one and keep it as our gift to you. That will replenish it. We would love for you to take that with you. Uh, Feel free to look on your phone or your tablet or follow along on the screens. But however you're accessing the word of the Lord, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? I'll read for us. Philemon. All 25 verses. When I finish verse 25, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond if you are grateful for God's word with the words, thanks be to God. Let's look together now. Verse one. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker and Affia, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier and the church in your house. whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion But of your own accord for this, perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come back to this small book this week, the letter to Philemon, and I just want to recap what we discussed last week. What we find in this small letter is a backstory of a very wealthy man who owns bondservants and slaves, who has a very large house that a church meets in that house. And at some point in time before that church was founded, he met the apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul shared the gospel with Philemon, and Philemon became a believer and began to have church meetings in his home. Somewhere along the way, one of his servants, a name by the man of Onesimus, a name that means useful, a man who was proving to be very much useless. Well, he decided he no longer wanted to be a bondservant in Philemon's house, and he wanted to go to Rome and find anonymity. But it's a very long trip, a very long journey to Rome. It's very expensive. So most scholars suggest that he robbed Philemon from an exorbitant amount of money or property that he could then sell to pay his way to go to Rome. But in a divine appointment, a divine turn of events, if you will, Onesimus also met Paul in Rome while Paul is in prison, and he also comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. At some point, a conversation must have been had about Philemon, and Paul insists, Onesimus, you must return. And so Onesimus returns and delivers this letter to Philemon and the church that's meeting there in his house. And this letter is a beautiful picture of God's grace. Essentially, what we have in this letter is a representation of you and I in Onesimus, a representation of God the Father in Philemon, and a representation of Jesus Christ in Paul. You see, we betrayed God the Father, and so we were at odds. We owed a debt to God the Father, a debt that we could not pay, and we go back to the Father and Paul The representation of Christ on our behalf says, put their debt on my account and receive them not as a slave, but as you would receive me instead of being cast off into a lake of eternal fire and torture as we deserve by God's grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through his shed blood, our debt can be counted to him. And we aren't treated as slaves. We actually become sons, co-heirs with Christ. That's the primary and most important interpretation of this letter. It is a representation of the gospel. But honestly, the gospel can be summed up in one really fancy church word. All right. It's an accounting word and it's a church word. It's called Reconciliation. Anybody who is a CPA is very familiar with reconciling the books. It's making the books match, right? Making the amount of money that is listed as coming in match the bank account. Making the money that goes out also match the bank account. Making sure that everything down to the last penny is correct. Reconciliation is also the restoration of friendly relationship. And so when there is a breach, a broken relationship, reconciliation is necessary. And so not only is the gospel summarized in reconciliation, but you and I are all in desperate need of reconciliation. You see, the the thing about it is God started off with a wonderful relationship with humanity. Remember with me, if you will, the very opening chapters of the book of Genesis And we see this story where God forms man out of the dust of the earth. And God says it is not good for man to be alone. Something I want us to keep in mind as we look at Philemon this morning is that really and truly we believe on some level our sin only affects us. We're one of the most individualized societies in all of human history. But God has made us to exist in community. Our God is a trinity in and of himself. One God with three persons. One in three, three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. Our God, even in his perfect state, exists in community. He is one and three. In the same way God created us to be in community. Because remember in Genesis chapter 2, he forms man out of the dust of the earth, breathes his breath into man, and man is alone. He parades all the animals in front of him and he names all the animals, but there's no mate to be found. And God says the first thing he says it's not good. It is not good for man to be alone. And yet you and I like to live under the impression that it is perfectly fine for us to be alone, to not have a community of friends, to not have a partner or a helpmate or any sort of companionship, especially in these COVID-19 days, isolation is the new key word, right? We all exist in this form of isolation, but that's not God's intention. That's not God's design. Not only did Adam have the Lord, but Then God makes Eve, makes this woman, this partner, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, and the Lord walks with them in the garden. It's a perfect relationship. That's where some analogies break down. Philemon and Onesimus, their relationship wasn't perfect, but the relationship of God to humanity in the Garden of Eden was absolutely perfect. It was so perfect. Adam and Eve are naked and they're not ashamed. They're walking in the garden with God naked and it's totally normal. Does that not freak y'all out just a little bit? I mean, like, when's the last time you looked to your spouse and said, Hey, let's go walk in the garden butt naked and talk to Jesus. We're going to have us a good time. If you're doing that. Let me know and I'm going to get you in touch with somebody who can get some help. All right. There may be a deeper problem than what you realize. But see, that's the natural response for us. Nakedness is shameful. Nakedness is humiliating. And when Adam and Eve choose... To spurn God and break that relationship with Him. They choose that they want to be the masters of good and evil. They want to know all that God knows. They don't want to trust God anymore. They take and they eat of that fruit and it immediately creates a breach of contract. It creates a severing in this relationship, a separation between them. And what's the first thing to go? That vulnerability, that openness that shared between them, that they were naked and unashamed. And now that they've sinned against God, they are naked and very much ashamed. And they try to sew fig leaves together to cover themselves up so that maybe they can protect themselves from one another. They're insecure now and they are not trusting one another. You can't see my body all the time because you may make fun of me. You, you may have some problem with me. There may be some deep rooted insecurity that is bred right in With that first sin. One of the things that reminds me of how profoundly perfect their relationship with the Father was is when it talks about in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says that the Lord came to walk in the garden in the evening with them like normal. And we always focus on this fact that it's the all powerful, all knowing God who comes to them, and He knows exactly what's happened. But he comes to walk in the garden like normal. And he seeks them out knowing where they are, lets them hide. But don't miss, as I often do, Adam and Eve were so familiar with the Lord, they knew it was him from the sound of him walking in the garden. That's the intimacy that was shared. They knew the sound of his footsteps. It wasn't just that they knew what he sounded like when he spoke. It wasn't just that they knew what he looked like. It was they knew what his footsteps sounded like. When they heard the sound of God walking in the garden, they did not think to themselves, whoop, that's a big old ape. Oh, there's a giraffe coming through. Wow, that elephant's really getting after it today. They didn't think any of that. They knew specifically right offhand, that's God. Because they walked with him so much, they knew what his footsteps sounded like. That's the relationship that they broke and shattered by betraying him. And he should have killed them, right? He should have destroyed them utterly. He should have in that moment cast them into an eternal lake of fire for condemnation for all eternity. Because that's the right and just thing to do. But even in that moment, even in spite of all the other consequences of the fallen world that we now live in, instead of killing them, God killed an animal. And he covered them with its skin. Someone else died the death that they deserved and covered over their sin and their breach in the contract. The gospel from the very first few chapters of Genesis and the gospel continues to be necessary because from Adam and Eve onward, we have done the same thing. Wherever there are two people, there's bound to be drama. One of my favorite quotes is that if sin were blue, we'd all be Smurfs. Folks, we are eaten up with the stuff and it makes us have nothing but drama with one another. And so especially, you know, ladies get together. And have you ever had a lady, uh, just any female come to you and say, I just don't like to have a lot of girlfriends because girls are just so dramatic. They just there's so much drama. I just don't have a lot of girlfriends because all these ladies are so drama induced and you're sitting there going, yeah, I'm talking to one of them right now. But it's not just ladies. I don't mean to single y'all out. Men cause drama nonstop. If you don't believe me, go to a hunting club or a hunting lodge when everybody's there and everybody went hunting that day and then they come back. Just listen to the conversation and watch the drama ensue about who killed what. Why'd you sit there? I wanted to sit there. That was my turn to sit there. We said we weren't going to shoot. That means, you know what? You're out of this club. And then you go join another club and then they kick somebody else out of that club and they got to go join this club. And then time and time and time again, you find these men who got to go lease their own land because nobody else can get along with me because I'm such a good hunter. See, I'm the best that there was. Or just go to the ball field. It can be peewee, it could be minor league, it could be high school. Just go to the ball field and listen to the dads. Like it is our natural state to compete with one another, even with our kids. Yeah, that's my kid out there. Yeah, they're they already looking at him. Well, he's four, so I hope they're not looking at him, because that makes me think they might be a pedophile, all right? So seriously, chill out. Men and women are eaten up with drama, and our relationships are constantly being broken and severed And what is the most heartbreaking is that for some reason we have it in our minds that I can have the third person of the Trinity. I can have the Holy Spirit living in me and you can have the Holy Spirit living in you. And we can be at complete odds with one another and it just be okay. And that's not in Scripture. You see what we do in the South is we're very comfortable with, well, I don't get along with Bradley anymore, and he and I had a falling out, so I'll just go to this other church, and then we don't ever have to deal with the fact that there's a severe breach in our relationship. I'll just be on my own, and people won't know, and I can just follow Jesus on my own. That's not the gospel. The gospel is a communal message message. We're designed to be in relationship with one another. And what is supposed to set us apart from the rest of the world is that we make every effort to make it right. But what we typically do is write it off. Well, you know, I I like James and everything, but he and I got into this debate about which movie was better. And he and I just differ on that. And I just can't be his friend no more, so I ain't going to have anything to do with James. And I'm okay with that. I hadn't tried to square it away. I hadn't tried to apologize. I hadn't tried to do anything, but I'm okay with that. But James claims to be a Christian and I claim to be a Christian. Folks, I know that that's not okay because Onesimus goes back to Philemon. Paul does not allow Onesimus to live in Rome in anonymity and just continue to have this severed relationship with another brother in Christ. He could have lived out the rest of his days in Rome, never crossing paths with Philemon ever again. And so this morning, one of the aspects of application I want for us to look at in the book of Philemon is the fact that there are requirements of someone who is an offender in a broken relationship. And these are not requirements for salvation, but these are requirements that if we are saved, we will do this. It is expected of those who are believers because God was so merciful to us. God approached us. It is our responsibility to show the same humility in going to who we have offended and begging for forgiveness. And so I want us to look at three things that we learn from the book of Philemon. Biblical reconciliation is exemplified in the book of Philemon. For biblical reconciliation, there's three things that are essentially required of the offender. The offender needs to repent. The offender needs to be humble. And the offender needs to move with urgency. The the offender needs to repent. The offender needs to be humble. And the offender needs to move with urgency. This is what we see in the book of Philemon. Take into consideration, if you will, that Philemon did not have to return. His act of returning is by itself a act of repentance. And folks, there, there are caveats through Scripture. I understand that. And you may be thinking, well, I've already tried. I've already made a journey like Onesimus made a journey. I mean, I've already done all of these things. And that very well may be true. That's why there's a verse in Romans chapter 12. Look with me, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. I think it it should be on the screen for you as well. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, with everyone. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Now, this is a great verse, but what we tend to do is we use this verse as a caveat or an escape hatch when we've done the bare minimum of trying to reconcile. Sometimes, if we go back to the banking, sometimes there's a nickel that's off in the books. And we look for that nickel for about an hour, and then we go, well, I guess we're just going to be off by a nickel. And folks, look around, there's several CPAs here in this congregation. Just ask them, hey, is it all right if the books are off balance, even by just a nickel? I mean, it's only five cents. We ain't got to track that five cents down, do we? Like, I, I, I'm sure that there are CPAs like sweating right now, like like jittering in their seat, just jerking at the fact that that we could leave the books unbalanced just a little bit. Like, have you ever been around a CPA when they can't find that penny, when they can't find that nickel? We're, just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. Like like give them their space. Okay, let them do what they need to do. It's that essential that we reconcile, but we don't feel that urgency and we don't work that hard at repentance. We'll be like, well, I sent him a text. Well, what'd your text say? Well, I I said, I'm so sorry that your feelings got hurt by what I said. Oh, I hope we can be friends again and a smiley face emoji with a thumbs up. I tried real hard. I did everything I could to put the relationship back together. I mean, that text was hard to send. Look, repentance is not apologizing in a halfway manner. This is not an apology. Brock, I'm so sorry that you took what I said wrong. That's not an apology. As Christians, stop doing that. We have to stop saying, Ben, I'm so sorry that you got hurt at what I said. I'm so sorry that you perceived me incorrectly, because that's not what I intended, and so, you know what? It's your fault. That's not repentance. So that can't lead to reconciliation for the offender. The offender goes to the offended. Onesimus goes to Philemon and owns what he did. I stole and I ran away. So I'm back and Paul said he'll guarantee everything I stole. And however long I need to work, I'll work. If you need to crucify me, you crucify me, Philemon. I'm here to accept whatever the consequences are. That's an apology. Brock, I am sorry that I failed and I'm going to do XYZ to make it up. That's repentance. That's what the offender does for the offended. And there's examples of this all through Scripture. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. Luke chapter 19 and verse 8, it says, And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today. Salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Folks, Zacchaeus meets Jesus climbs up in a tree. Jesus is like, Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm gonna come eat dinner at your house. Go get ready. So Zacchaeus goes and prepares this dinner. Zacchaeus at some point in the dinner probably has this moment of confession of Jesus. Truly you are Lord. And he stands up. And the confession is one thing, but then he follows that confession up with repentance. He's been the chief tax collector for years. He's been skimming off the top for years. And he says, I'm giving half of everything I own to the poor because that's how God treated me. I was poor and God gave me the blessings. He gave me the spiritual blessings of being saved and trusting in you. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to find everybody that I defrauded. And I'm not just going to pay them back. I'm going to pay them back fourfold. That's repentance. That's how you apologize. That's how I apologize. Own what we've done wrong and do everything in our power to make it right and to be different Going forward, even in John chapter eight, remember this woman is drug out and she's been caught in the act of adultery and everybody wants to stone her. What are the last words that Jesus says to her? He calls for her to repent. Nobody's going to throw a stone at you today, ma'am, but go and sin no more. Go and be done with this adultery. Don't ever be caught in this lifestyle again. Make a change to prove you're actually sorry. Because if I say I'm sorry, even if I say, Clark, I'm so sorry, I punched you in the face and I was trying to punch Wesley, but I hit you and I'm so sorry. But then I rear back to punch Wesley again and I catch Clark a second time. It's going to be a little bit harder for Clark to forgive me because I punched him in the face again. Don't fall into the same pattern of breaking that relationship. The offender goes to the offended. Onesimus went to Philemon and said, I'm here. Whatever needs to happen, let it happen. He knew that the penalty for running away as a slave was crucifixion. Handed him the letter from Paul and just stood there. Folks, when a relationship is broken, that's what the offender is supposed to do. When I've broken a relationship, I go and I repent. We also go and we humble ourselves. Don't don't go and be haughty. Listen, I've I've only ever messed up a couple times in my life, and this is one of them. So don't expect for me to mess up anytime soon, but I just want you to know I'm sorry for this one. Arrogance does not rebuild a relationship. The example we have is Jesus himself, Philippians chapter 2. He considered equality with God not a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant. Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, we humble ourselves to the offended. We go to the offended as the offender. We repent and apologize for our actions, and then we humble ourselves throughout the process. You know, it had to be humbling for Onesimus to pay the whole way back to Colossae. You know, the very reason that we believe that he stole from Philemon is because it's such an expensive trip to get the 1,500 miles from Colossae to Rome. And Onesimus had to travel that in reverse. Talk about humiliating. He may have had to take on extra debt just to be able to get back and make it right. It's extreme measures. He humbled himself to do whatever was necessary. To humiliate himself in front of all the other servants that were there. In front of Aphia, probably Philemon's wife. In front of Archippus, who's probably their son. Standing there in front of them, having run away. Everybody else going, ooh, Onesimus is back. What's about to happen? And he says, I'm here. I'm sorry. I have nothing else to say. Here's this letter. Humility. Humility. And folks, sometimes we are not willing to go low to restore a relationship. So many times we I'm including myself in everything because I'm not better than anybody else. All right. But sometimes we take the position of, well, they shouldn't have been offended in the first place. That's not the issue. Well, they're just it's a perceived slight. That's not the issue. Humility demands that we strive for reconciliation and humble ourselves and say, listen, even even I don't know what I did. Have you ever gone to your wife, husbands and been like, look, I can tell I've done something, but I'm too stupid to realize what I did. If you'll tell me what I did, I will. and I will make it right. Just help me out. I can tell there's a breach in the relationship. And so many times we don't even care enough about our other friendships or other relationships to go, something's not right. Have I offended you? We're too haughty. We're too proud. Philemon was free, but he was willing to go back and be a slave. He had no idea how, how Philemon was going to react. Onesimus was free. Sorry, got him mixed up there. Onesimus had no idea how Philemon was going to react, but he goes and he humbles himself. Even if he disagreed with the whole institution of slavery, he shouldn't have stole from the man. Even if he feels like he was in the right and Philemon had wronged him, he goes and he humbles himself. Third thing I want us to look at is urgency. Reconciliation requires repentance, reconciliation requires humility, reconciliation requires urgency. want us to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 25. So if you are offering a gift at the altar and there at the altar, you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms with. Quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Come to terms quickly. It's so urgent. Leave your gift at the altar. You came to worship. You had a gift for the temple, for the Lord. You had a song to sing. And scripture says Jesus very words. Leave it. Go make it Right. Your worship is meaningless while that relationship is broken. And yet, what's our reaction? Well, Taylor and I don't get along that much anymore. And we had a real serious falling out. All right. He stole from me. And I I cannot go to church with him anymore. So I'm just going to go right down here. And I'm just going to go to Harmony. Or I'm just going to go over to First Baptist Andalusia. Or, you know, if somebody really steals from me or I feel like they've wronged me, I'll leave First Baptist Andalusia. I'll go down to Southside. If I'm not happy down there at Southside, I just go over to Mount Pisgah. I mean, there's 52 different Southern Baptist churches in Covington County for us to choose from. And instead of making it right before we go worship again, we just jump to another church where the problem no longer exists. That's how we realize that we've. Fixed it. We just brush it under the rug. Folks, that's not reconciliation. Ignoring something is not reconciliation. He says, go and make it right. Be reconciled to your brother, then come back and worship. God doesn't hear our songs that we sing when we have offended someone and we have not gone to them to make it right. If I have stolen from someone, if I have gossiped about someone, if I have sinned against someone else and I don't make it right before I come up here to preach, these words are empty and meaningless. Folks, there's urgency that's required. When we are the offender, as soon as we're aware, go and do everything to make it right. And listen, that cheesy little text doesn't count as everything to make it right. You can't send that little smiley face and a heart, hope we're okay, and then lean on Romans 12 and say, well, as much as it depended on me, I did everything I could to be at peace. just didn't work out. Until you've taken a 1,500-mile journey at your own expense, let's not excuse ourselves from the effort of trying to reconcile. And there's been plenty of times in my life where I've counted that little text as enough. But Onesimus is the example we have, and he traveled fifteen hundred miles to make it right. Sometimes I'm not willing to try to travel five blocks. You guys might be wondering this morning why, why is all this reconciliation stuff so important? Why does it matter? Because this is our witness to the world. This is God coming to us and us exemplifying that by us going. To others. Look with me just to wrap up this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, the gospel is reconciliation. Jesus reconciled us to God for those of us who believe And when we believe the Holy Spirit enters our heart and our life and we are no longer the old creation, we are a new creation. And as new creations, we have to find reconciliation and harmony with one another. And you know what we're most known for? Not our ability to reconcile, but our ability to split churches. My home church used to be called Harmony Baptist Church and they got in fight after fight after fight after fight. And you know what was the straw that broke the camel's back to split the church into First Baptist Church of Pleasant Grove and Bethel Baptist Church of Pleasant Grove. They couldn't call it Harmony anymore because Harmony was the last thing that they had. They wanted to pave the driveway to the parsonage and this group thought it was a beautiful idea and this group thought it was a really stupid idea and the church split because they couldn't reconcile and We can't sit here and think, oh, I'm just so glad that nothing like that's ever happened at Bethany. It's happened at our sister churches. It's happened everywhere we look. Talk about the Southern Baptist Convention. Talk about Christians. And people don't even understand all of our denominations because what we're really, really good at is not reconciling with one another to be a display of the gospel. But we're really good at segregating and dividing and splitting. Even if we look from a racial standpoint. One of the most segregated hours in all the week is right now. We can't even reconcile with fellow brothers and sisters of Christ who are of different ethnicities than ourselves. And we all cluster together by our likeness. Folks, reconciliation is the gospel. The message of Philemon is reconciliation. And I think that I, and maybe some of you if you are honest with yourself, have written off so many broken relationships without ever taking a 1,500-mile journey, without ever giving half my goods to the poor and fourfold back to anyone I've defrauded. I've approached those broken relationships with arrogance instead of humility. And instead of chasing after the person I've offended to make it right with urgency, I've cast them aside. And delayed it as long as humanly possible. Folks, this is the story of Philemon. It's the story of the gospel, but it's the story of you and me. Because you and me are Onesimus. And I'd venture to say that every one of us, at some point in our lives, have been the cause of somebody coming down to the altar and praying. Every one of us, at some point in our lives, has been the heartache in someone else's life. But have we gone through the necessary required steps to make it right? Or did we just halfway try and then go, well, we don't really have to run into those people. We'll just ignore them if we do. It'll be kind of awkward, but we'll move on. How good are we at reconciling the way that Jesus reconciled us to God, the father? And I. I just wonder maybe if anybody's here this morning and where you sit, you have not been reconciled to God. You've not trusted in Jesus. And all of this about being reconciled is good and wonderful, but it doesn't matter if you're reconciled to your brother or sister, if they're not your brother and sister, because you don't believe in Jesus. Are you still living as an old creation? Have you trusted in Jesus and become new This morning, there's a lot of points of application. You can trust in Jesus for the first time. Or you can, with urgency, go to those that you have offended and make it right. Even this morning. As awkward as it may be, I encourage you when we have our time of response in a moment, we call it a time of response and not an invitation because the encouragement is to respond to the Holy Spirit. And maybe the Holy Spirit moves on your heart this morning and somebody over here sees somebody over there that you offended them or they offended you and you feel led of the Holy Spirit to go and apologize with urgency and humility and repent and make it right. That's acceptable in this place. There's not a prescribed set of responses during the time of response. What I encourage you to do is listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you need to reconcile with somebody, you reconcile and make it right. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for reconciling us to yourself. Lord, the relationship was perfect in the garden. And boy, did we royally mess it up. But you and your rich mercy, because of the great love with which you've loved us, reconciled us to yourself through Christ Jesus. And then, Lord, we have the audacity to turn around and break relationships with one another and ignore one another without ever following your example. Lord, I rationalize and justify my relationships and why I haven't gone to so-and-so. Forgive us. Forgive us where we have been too arrogant, too prideful to go to those that we have offended in repentance, humility, with urgency. Lord, I know we're never going to be perfect until we're in your very presence in heaven. Until then, Lord, help us to be a people of reconciliation. That for the sake of the gospel, we find harmony, even in the midst of strife and deep hurts and deep wounds. Lord, help us to realize our sin and repent from it. Father, we're going to do like we do most Sunday mornings. Lord, we're going to sing a song and Jason's going to lead us. I ask in that time, Would you move on our hearts and help us to respond in obedience to your Holy Spirit? Whether that means we trust in you for the very first time or whether that means we go make it right with somebody. Whether that means we make an effort when really we haven't made an effort before. Lord, we ask that you move during this time and we dedicate it to you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.